this podcast paul baliu global chief data and analytics officer at ford motor company talks about running a data analytics practice of a global organization so stay tuned Welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us an amazing, amazing guest. So Paul Bellew uh, is a Vice President and Global Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Ford Motor Company. At the same time, he also was elected a Ford Motor Company Officer. In this role, he leads uh, Ford's global data and analytics teams for the enterprise. Prior to joining Ford, he was Chief Data and insight and analytics officer at Dun and Bradstreet previously paul served as nationwide senior vp for customer insight and, and analytics he directed customer analytics uh, market research and information and data management function and supported the company's uh, marketing strategy his responsibility includes development of nationwide customer analytics data operation and strategy Prior to that, Paul was associated with GM, JD Power, Federal Reserve. He also sits on the board of uh, Newstar, Hayat Hotels, and Paul ha- Paul has master's degree in economics from the University of Detroit. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very glad to be with you today. Interesting. So, I think when I was reading this, um, your bio, it has it has almost every interesting keywords, and I think you. are um, one of those uh, and uh, leaders who actually fit perfectly in today's disruption in automation and 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 autonomous journey so before we get to that love to love to have from you your take on your journey from masters what you did and all that so our our, our audience could sort of learn from that it's been a fun journey uh, when you read my bio it just makes me feel a little old <laughs> Uh, because it's been 30 years, and and it's been a fascinating journey because I started off as a research economist and research officer for the Federal Reserve, but at that point in time, even early in my career, I, w- I was fascinated on focusing on insights that could be turned into decisions, and not surprisingly, after I left the Fed, my career has been very centered around the ability to drive insights, turn them into operational actions, work with our business partners. and ultimately to engage in improving the effectiveness of the operation but the customer centricity of the activity and the journey has been nothing less than extraordinary because what we were doing 30 years ago which was rearward looking sort of partial views of customers and operational actions we can take of course has been fast forward into into a world today where because of the advancements in data computing power advanced analytic methods and talent development the precision and timeliness of what we can now do the intimate insights we can have on customers the ability to act and learn from the action and feed that back in so for myself i i do at this stage in my career go back and say wow how did this all start and it all started because i was highly inquisitive with regard to trying to understand complex problems and then that slowly but surely turned into a desire to take those insights and do something with them which at the fed was very much a policy job uh, but then quickly going into industry it's it's been a phenomenal journey and i ask myself every single day how did i get to be this fortunate that companies like ford have entrusted myself and my team 
was such a wonderful responsibility. And every day of my life, I learn something new. I get a new insight. I see something we're doing. The, the excitement level is, is as high today as it was 30 years ago. I can't say to the listeners that I got up in 1985 and said, over the next 30 years, I'm going to do these <laughs> six things. Uh, I've had one constant thread throughout that, and that is I, I wanted to learn. I've been inquisitive, and it's been amazing, and we are an amazing field at one of those seminal moments in, in history in terms of our science. And I get up every day, and some days I feel like Archimedes. Other days I feel like Euclid. It's like, this is incredible. It's, it's a lot of fun. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. So thank you so much for, for, for walking us through that. So let's talk about your current role. Like what does a global chief data and, and analytics at the Ford Motor Company means? Uh, can you shed some light? And we are so blessed because we, we've had visionary leadership in the company that four years ago approached me and said, we want to support the business through its transformation. And when I say support the business, we have the privilege of being responsible for all data and analytics for the company. And sometimes it's foundational. Think of things like sales analytics. In other cases, it's things on the ragged edge, things that we're doing in machine learning to support autonomous vehicles, or the things we're doing in, in IIoT for manufacturing. But it's such a unique job because the diversity of what we're responsible for when you support an entire organization. And what it does for us is it allows us to be involved in everything the company's involved in. Uh, what that means for us though, is we are focused really on three components, building out our modern master data management activities. In many cases, people think that analytics is just analytics. It's really mm -hmm. data and analytics. So increasingly the science requires that very progressive, sophisticated approach to data ingestion and curation. So that's a big part of my day-to-day -day job. A second part of the job is of course, managing the analytics team, which is you're turning data into insight through analytic methods. Uh, and that part of the job is, is running the factory with hundreds upon hundreds of complex projects and problems we're working on. And then the last piece of the job, which is the more interesting activities more recently is we have a very aggressive forward-looking agenda. We call it our analytic and data R&D function. That's the group that's responsible for new methods, new data sources, uh, new engagement models, new tools, new platforms. And so the way we built out this organization globally is to cover those three bases, engage with our business partners. And every day my calendar is filled with probably 20 different things. So it's a highly eclectic job. Uh, but it's a, it's a job that has a lot of fun to it because that eclecticness all ties back to what the company is, is focused on either today or in the future. I, our CEO calls it the now near far of, of the overall business strategy. Our organization is involved in the now, we're involved in the near, and we're involved in the far. And that, that's what every day is. Um, and then, of course, against all that, my primary job every day is to build an organization. Uh, so I get up every day and I focus time on talent development, talent retention, uh, the overall strategy of building out a global team that now is pretty close to a thousand people and continuing to grow and, and is all over the globe. So that's the other fun part of the job, especially at this phase of your career, you get to start to 
help team members and you can focus on leaving that legacy. Nice. No, I think that's that's fabulous. So one thing I, I, I loved about um, your background was your journey through insurance, then going to uh, sort of uh, DNB and then getting back to the mo- like motor insurance and and, and in, ev- in every aspect, it's analytics, customer analytics, insights. And, and, and so I think you are the the perfect guy to, to understand this dynamics of data and, and, and understand how automation is shaping via insurance to autom- now, 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 now this, um, uh, uh, like Ford, Ford Motors or, or this, uh, companies, uh, like what are some of your, some of your findings as, as like, what are some of your insights when you, when it, when, when we talk about, um, the, the role of, uh, say insurance or role of, um, like automakers in the, in this future using this data analytics, if you can share some light. It's, it's a great question. And, and I really look at it as the journey for me has shown two things that data and analytics plays a critical role. And that is we are so essential to running the current business efficiently and effectively and with the customer voice coming into the decisioning environment. So if you think about insurance, when I, when I spent my, my tenure down in financial services, that industry really struggled with their ability to connect with the customer. Mm. If, you, if you think about it, you would call a call center and they, the first thing they'd say is, what's your policy number? Well, do you know your insurance policy right. number? It's like, really, does anybody know your insurance policy number? And that transformation of moving away from that to being able to help the company see that customer, know that customer and act on that information so you could deepen the relationship, you could sell new products, you could solve their customer care issues. So a big part of what data and analytics does today is with greater precision and timeliness, we provide insights to the business to affect the core operation. So at Ford, we're responsible for all of our CRM activities in terms of analytics. We're responsible for what we're doing to optimize our media, our incentive spending, how we're driving quality through our plants and throughput through our plants, reducing our part costs. So a big part of what we have to do is, is to continue to help the company be more efficient and more customer centric today. The other part of the journey, which really started to morph for me during my tenure at GM, but really accelerated at Nationwide and at Ford, is that many of these industries are going through pretty significant transformative periods of time where there's a lot of uncertainty with regards to where the business model is going and where new products and services are developing or products and services are going away. And the role of, of analytics on that end is, is unbelievably important, both in terms of forecasting, market sizing, customer research sits with my organization, for instance, all of those activities, but also because most of those future products and services rely on data and analytics throughout their core delivery model. If you think about Mm -hmm. us with mobility, you can't have new mobility solutions or autonomous vehicles without advanced data and analytics. There's, it doesn't make any sense to have that conversation. And so for us every day, while we spend a lot of time worrying about helping the current business stay healthy and better connect with customers, where you see modern data and analytics organizations going is helping build out the new capabilities of the future. I saw it while I was at Nationwide, I clearly saw it when I was at DNB because we supported thousands of companies. But then you come back to companies like Ford and, and you just see this every day. And for any of us that are practitioners in our field, that's where this is going. You can't ignore the today, 
but just about every sector has to be looking towards the future because whether you want to call it digitization or the advent of AI and the adoption of AI, there's just underlying structural factors that are disrupted to core industries. Certainly automotive's there, financial services is clearly there. Yeah, you can be flippant about FinTech, but there's underlying shifts occurring, packaged goods, retailers are there. So there's all this activity going on and for great data and analytics organizations, you're doing both. You have to help the company navigate both. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. No, I think. Uh, by, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, actually, I was at at a insurance uh, conference. Uh, couple of months back and and i think there, there was a conversation about um how like so disruption happened in s curves right so we know that things are rapidly shifting and right now automakers like at least in in, in auto industry every aspect whether you call it iot whether you call it autonomy um, autonomy like everything is going through s curve uh, of disruption right so and and when you have so much of disruption uh, and and every aspect of, of of a product is is at at, at the mercy of where the, this industry, industry will shape. I think it was it was it's extremely critical to have a very robust data and, 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 and analytics practice to sort of keep leveraging this this insights and, and inform companies. And there was a huge outcry from the insurance folks that hey, who will own the insurance when sort of the, the technology shifts towards uh, like the automaker will have a lot more um, insights into into the the working or, or the active risks associated with the, with an with an automation like what are what are your some of your thoughts uh, from your vantage point on this future of uh, this iot led um, autonomous vehicle world um, so what what are some of your thoughts that who will own the insurance and like how would where would this where would we see in next 5 years this this um, automation getting in, in the, in the autos. Yeah. So I, I think what's important for everybody and, and the benefit of 30 years of being a forecaster, which is the core of any analytic function is you always should start off by, by where is the pain point and where is the economic benefit? Because when you get disruptions, like we're going to usually what ends up there is, is you get solutions that resolve pain points and provide more value to the customer. That was the Amazon model. The Amazon model was reduce price and improve convenience. And great timing because we're all stretched for time. And if you provide me very good convenience and very good service and know my needs and reduce my price simultaneously, where's the downside in that for a customer? And we have to think the same way, whether it's an in insurance or it's in motor vehicles or it's in other categories, where this is eventually gonna go in the next 15 years is, is hard with the degree of precision some people like to see, but I always say, where is the alleviation of the pain point going to happen and what's going to provide the most value to the customer? Against that backdrop, there's all sorts of disruptive plays in there. So usage-based insurance has been dabbled with really for two decades. And the initial work around usage-based insurance happened in the mid-1990s. And then the last decade kind of played along and is kind of going forward to think that some form of that solution is not coming, I, I think would be a catastrophic mistake for insurance carriers. 
Why? Because the the segregation of insurance pricing in terms of mm. how you get in those risk classes is still too coarse. It's mm. it's just too coarse. And therefore, when you have precision and somebody can affect the outcome of the cost of bearing something that they don't want to pay for in the first place, which is unfortunately how they think of insurance, you end up with a disruptive play. It's going to happen. Mm. The question of who does that, I still think is on the table, but you first have to embrace the fact that it's going to occur. It's just like in our space, the pressure points around congestion and emissions and safety, those issues are not issues that have been completely solved. And therefore the pressure point to solve them is what we've embraced to say, look, it's gotta be solved. It's going to be solved and we wanna be part of the solution. Does that mean broad-based autonomous vehicles for personal use by 2025 or 2030? Probably a bit aggressive, but it's something along those lines. Does it mean more mobility type solutions? Yes, certainly, which is what Uber and, and Lyft and others have shown. Will it mean multimodal? It probably will to some degree. It will also mean working with cities to have an integrated solution to those pain points. And I really encourage my team all the time to think about it from that perspective and then create optionality in terms of the ultimate solutions because if anybody thinks you have the solutions, the, the great mm. companies that have innovated saw a problem and have iterated and iterated and iterated towards that solution. You know, Jeff Bezos didn't get up and think about Amazon Prime on day one from the creation of Amazon. It's right. been the evolution. If you look at Steve Jobs, he didn't get up in the morning and suddenly just automatically jump to an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod if we go way back. But he saw the the opportunity with the customer. And that's it's really what a great analytics organization does. It continues to bring that voice to the customer. It brings that insight. And then it validates quickly what you're trying to bring to market. And that's how we approach it. Uh, so one of the things that we do well here is we measure and validate for our business customers mm. as well as the normal stuff you would see an analytics organization do. Interesting. I think one one thing that um, that I, I hear a lot from, from folks um, who are like from GE and like similar company structure, which is very old legacy, uh, getting this wave of new age of uh, analytics is recruiting technologies, recruiting models, recruiting like so, uh, like as we as a uh, in 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 auto uh, automotive industry, every aspect is going through disruption, right? So now, as a data as as a, as a leader to handle data and, and analytics practice for, for that that corporation, what are some of, some of your key insights or thoughts on how do you recruit a technology when you know everything is is like a lab work everything is evolving so rapidly that and 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 by the way i think you pointed out pretty nicely there's not you don't have too much time to react to that because things will be out and in and out uh, pretty soon so you need to create us something which is very swift in, in responding to to these market changes so what are what are some of your thoughts uh, and some of your insights on how uh, someone who is undergoing this practice should should uh, should react to this? Yeah. Besides finding the right external partners and collaborations, which are important, I I stress to my organization two things. One is let's be humble and realize that we're not going to build everything. We're not going to be able mm -hmm. to deploy everything. We're not going to be able to fix everything. Humility matters a lot in in a fast growing category. That's why partnerships and continuous. The other thing is we've approached our our infrastructure and our capabilities in a very agnostic way, in a way where we've engineered agility and flexibility because 
five years ago, would we have been talking about Altrex for data munging purposes? The answer is no. Mm. There's just no way possible. We were barely talking about R as an analytic platform. Now everything we talk about, we, we spend all of our time talking about Python or we spend all of our time talking about how we're changing our data processing capabilities and so on. So the world and our field in particular is changing fast. So we believe in being very agnostic, very flexible and continuously adapting, learning, changing uh, and making sure that we're, we're not encumbered by it. Now, by the way, that's a challenge because we have all the legacy environments and legacy processes and legacy tools. So we've been very creative around how we deal with that. And in many cases, it's not, you don't go back and blow up and replace the legacy. You mm. find ways of, of integrating what the legacy is producing and, and then you harmonize at a meta layer or you do something else. So we, we spent a lot of time on this. So I personally spent a lot of time on it. And uh, you know, one thing I've learned in three plus decades of doing this is humility is a really good thing in this field. When you, when you think you know where everything's going to land in the next five years, good luck. Uh, what you do know is that the company needs faster and better insights, wants to understand the needs of the customer, and wants to understand whether or not what we're doing is meeting the needs of the customer. So for us, that's how we approach it every day. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. I think that's beautifully said. So humbleness and humility. I think that's. Uh, I think thank you so much for sharing that insight. Uh, one thing that um, that I definitely want your perspective on is so. Um, you mentioned uh, the aspect of culture, right? So Ford is, 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 is a company with a very, very established culture, right? And, and then now you are taking this company forward in, 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 the, in the age of data analytics, right? So now with that in mind, like what are some of, some of the constraints and, and I think uh, are some of, some of your thoughts uh, for anyone who is in a similar situation of like, how do you sell uh, a company with, with very established culture to, hey, be embrace change and change in, in, in a way when everything is disrupting. So what, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, so of our strategic priorities since day one, one of our strategic priorities is our business engagement model. And we put it up front. So it's, a, it's about investing the time. It's about being with our business partners. It's about understanding their domains. Uh, so we've organized ourselves where our teams have domain expertise. We have a team for manufacturing analytics, team for purchasing analytics and so on. Because if you don't have an, a really high intensity business engagement model, you're going to struggle. If you're, if you're just going to build it and throw it over the wall, you're going to fail. And that's a lesson I, I learned decades ago. So it's very important. The other thing that, that we've done, which is critically important, is that we've emphasized our culture every single day within my organization. And our culture comes down to three things. You have to be smart, you have to be nice, and you have to be inquisitive. And Unfortunately, in our field, if you're not smart, I can't use you. If you're not nice, I don't want you. And mm -hmm. if you're not inquisitive, you're not going to be successful. And so we build our, our whole, whole training platform, our whole go-to-market platform. We treat every part of Ford as a customer. So philosophically, when we get up in the morning, we see our business partners as our customers. And we want to be their trusted advisor. And to be their trusted advisor, we have to be smart and we have to understand their business and their business needs. And we have to give them solutions. We have to be nice, though, 
because it's it's very important to be respectful and understand that they have a lot of pressure on their plate and we have to be part of the solution and not just a nice to have. And the last piece on inquisitive, that's what the journey of effectiveness, which I tell all of my team members, if you really wanna be successful in data and analytics, you have to have that hunger of not just waiting for somebody to ask you a question. You have to be always out there learning and growing and developing. And we have a push and a pull model where, the, where our customers pull on us, but we also go to our customers with ideas and solutions before they pull on us. And we really emphasize that. And, and by doing that, Companies like Ford, which is very, a very pleasant, nice culture, very receptive and, and very open. Now you have to invest the time and you just can't, you just can't show up one day or once a year and say, I'm from data and analytics and I'm gonna give you this profound insight and have a nice day. That's just not the way that it works for us. Interesting. Uh, so um, I think one, one more thing that, um, that I, I'm very, uh, very sort of, uh, I want to know about is data, right? So I think recently I'm working on a blog post called data, bring data to analytics or, or bring analytics to, to data, right? And I think, and your role pretty much is one of the hallmark role who, who pretty much is either thinking about this or, or already working on this. In, in, in case of automotive, right? So there is a case of, hey, my car has its own telematics running in its own sort of, uh, chamber and very few like I need to talk to central Ford if at all like in, in case of Boeing or in case of sort of this uh, uh, legacy aircraft manufacturers so now like and on, on the other case Ford has all the data and you can do analytics and then feed in the insights back to the cars what are like what are your thoughts on where would the world is shifting towards in or at least from, from whatever your vantage point like should like w would we be seeing more um, analytics right on my car itself or would I be talking to Ford and then back into my car all coming all the insights what are your thoughts there yeah I would say it's a blended model uh, doing analytics at the source is very practical and very logical and we're already doing that at the vehicle mm -hmm. or in manufacturing plants at the sensor in other cases the the ingestion process for a variety of things you're doing is also into some type of centralized environment so you see both occurring uh, the one thing I would stress, which I think is one of the fatal flaws of, of analytics organizations, is when they don't have the data management responsibilities to go along mm. with. That's um, one of the things that I've had the benefit in the last two decades of having both. Because the data side of data and analytics is more important, the data management side mm. is more important today and it's gonna be more important five years from now. And many companies underestimate that, that the real investment is just on the analytics talent or the analytics platform or I'll buy a stack or fill in the blank. The challenge is on the, the data side as much as anything in this day and age. And so data management has to be part of it. And the way we approach data management is we, like we do our analytic activities, we're very agnostic. We've now pioneered the ability to manage it at the source. We have the capabilities to ingest it into a central environment. We have a team that specializes on deployment so we can deploy solutions. So it's it's really a, a fun time for us and and we get up every day and, and data management, what I call modern master data management. Not data management, but modern master data management, which is a more progressive way of thinking of it, is where this is going. The, the way everybody's thought about it over the last 10 years is deal with all the legacy environments, get some type of common 
an identification or data standards, bring it into a SIF or repository, make it available for whatever use cases you have, deploy it through some type of workflow tools and life goes on. That's not the way the world's going in the future. It, it, if we think that's the way the world's going in the future, we're all gonna have to build thousands of data centers or AWS is gonna have to by itself build thousands of data centers. And I just don't see that occurring. Interesting. Um, thank you for sharing that. So I think um, one more thing I was I was thinking about is um, so as as Ford is legacy, uh, it like they a lot of car, cars already out there, and then this new age of cars are emerging with some some or some degree of autonomy, and 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 vis a vis compared to other many other sort of um, automakers out there who don't have to deal with the legacy. Uh, and sort of they just work on on the they are starting today and thinking about tomorrow there was no yesterday for them like how would company like ford um uh, stay competitive in 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 that era if if you if you have some insights to share on that you know we get up every day and and there's strengths and weaknesses in either model so the the if you have a clean sheet of paper from a data and analytics standpoint that's not a bad thing hmm. uh, because you're not encumbered by all the legacy on. on the flip side, in a complex industry like Ford, truly understanding automotive, which and especially on the customer side, is very hard to do. I've spent part of my 32 years of doing this for a living, almost three quarters of it, trying to understand this category. And that legacy set of knowledge, that legacy set of capabilities is not a bad thing. Now, what will happen is, is if you don't progress, which is why we set up our organization, you're going to lose out to the startup. I think on the flip side, the startups are going to be encumbered at, as seeing this to some degree, encumbered at some point in time of saying, oh my goodness gracious, the complexity of this mm. particular category has all sorts of interesting challenges in front of it. Um, so I, I look at either model as being one that you can be successful in. The key for us is we have to bring value to the company every day and help solve the, the problems that eventually tie back to the customer. And get legacy systems or or any of those things. I, I, I oftentimes we want to almost companies want to make that an excuse. I just accept it as it is what it is, and we move on from there. Interesting. No, I think that's very very well said. So let's let's talk about your <clears throat> your current challenges uh, that that keeps you up at night. So if you can if you can share uh, what are some of some of the things that that you are really really strive up to fix, and what are some of the things that 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 that, that keeps you up. Well, lots of things keep me up, but I, I probably put them in two groups. So on the on the one group is the external operating environment is changing. And that external operating environment could involve regulation, regulatory changes, which mm -hmm. are there, and legislative changes to go along with it. Also changes in customer behavior, uh, changes in terms of technology. So that's one where having the optionality in your strategy is critically important. On the flip side, the, the thing that has been most perplexing for me in the last two decades is that we are a global, highly competitive industry. And finding the unique areas to differentiate yourself in this industry are things that we put a lot of emphasis on. Can I connect with the customer better? Can I be more effective in my communication? Can I improve the efficiency of things I'm doing? Can I proactively solve any quality issues or customer experience? So for me, I while I spend a lot of time worrying about the external operating environment, I spend also a lot of time 
worrying about can we generate the insight to really drive a go-to-market strategy in an industry that's highly competitive, overcapacitized, with 99 vehicle manufacturers, uh, with a lot of craziness going on. It's the, the thing that attracts a data and analytics professional automotive is that it's a crazy industry. When I take off my data and analytics hat and I put my, my executive hat on for the company, I go, God, this is a crazy industry. Um, so it's you, you give it, then you take it away. So those are the two things. And, and every day of our lives, we're focusing on helping the company on, on both of those dimensions. Interesting. And, uh, and let's talk about um, your best hires, right? So what are, I think, and you raised an interesting point, you need them to be smart, nice and inquisitive. So what are, what are some, of, some of your keys to, to finding, find, finding good talent? Yeah, we, we're actually, like all things we do in the skill team, we're pretty eclectic in the way we look for talent. Uh, you have to have the technical skills. We hire a lot of um, team members. We call them early career team members coming out of their PhD programs. But we tend to be very academically diverse hmm. uh, down that path. We're not just hiring statisticians. We're hiring physicists. We're hiring mathematicians. We're hiring economists. Uh, we're hiring team members that come out of applied psychology. And we've had really good luck on, on hiring team members that have that more scientific method training to go along with the technical skills. Um, so I, I am very, very pleased with how we've been able to, to be diverse on that front. Uh, on the flip side, our, our opportunities in some cases are to find team members that just have either a passion for the industry or some level of, of domain experience. Uh, we generally like people that are practitioners who've gotten their hands dirty, mm -hmm. done it. They, they're, while they, they have a vocation, I'm an economist and I still like to do some pure research, but I like to get my hands dirty. And we look for team members that, that like to get their hands dirty, that like to work on real world problems, that like to engage with business partners, because if not, you're also not gonna be successful. Interesting, and I think just before the before the podcast, I think we were talking about the the, the enterprise structure of Ford, right? So I think we we have seen uh, we have seen data science groups isolated to a particular vertical, and we have seen a data science group that pretty much became one of the recruiting platform for almost every vertical, and it's it's a shared services across. If you, like, could you share like what is what is a template with with Ford and and your team? Like, how is your team structured within within Ford ecosystem? Yeah, so we, we were set up as a unique skill team, which in Ford is, is a big deal. And the fact we were the first new skill team in about five decades in the history of the wow. companies. So we, we set ourselves up as an entity that supports everybody. And, but our team members are members of data and analytics. They just happen to be supporting the business. So we don't do a hub and spoke model. Uh, we mm. tend to run on that basis. Um, now, for us to be effective, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have team members that have deep expertise in manufacturing. They spend all their time with manufacturing. We have team members that spend all their time with marketing, sales, and service. We have team members that spend all their time with mobility. So we, we do have ourselves structured in a way to have the team members on that basis. And then we have some centralized functions like our data operations team, our data governance team, our infrastructure team, our deployment team, because they don't need to have unique domain expertise. They support the entire entity as a whole. Um, so it's, a, it's interesting in the sense that Ford has been very serious about what we do. Mm. Uh, and the fact that we've stood up a, a skill team that's unique, that's not part of finance, not part of marketing, sales and service, 
but was really set up as its own separate entity says a lot about the thoughtfulness of Bill Ford and Mark Fields and Bob Shanks and now Jim Hackett. Those leaders have been incredibly strong in terms of their foresight of, of seeing this capability uh, beyond just a, a nice to have. Interesting. No, I think, uh, and, and one thing uh, we hear a lot uh, from, from our vantage point is the the migrant cost because of this, like there's, there's a increased trend on um, shadow groups, right? So data science is similar to now IT, what IT used to be a couple of maybe decades ago now, that, hey, because of the responsiveness and, and, and the emergence of, I need an insight quickly, many businesses start pursuing sort of kind of a shadow groups. Uh, and, and then from there on, the central and the shadow and there's there's a communication loophole and then uh, everything just stumbles. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on, Ford is a ginormous company. Like, how do you, uh, and, and ev- almost every vertical or every corner in Ford is generating enormous amount of data and, 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 and insights for businesses to respond. Like, what, what are your thoughts on, like, what is like how you guys are um, doing that, and 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 do you have the same shadow shadow problem, or or like how do you are circumventing that, or some of th- so your thoughts on that? Yeah, before setting up the skill team, we we had lots of fragmentation. There were forty three groups in four doing mm. work in this area. So the way we've tackled it is twofold: where we support the business comprehensively, so they know who to come to, and again, we have teams dedicated to domains. Second thing we've done is where self-service tools are available for foundational insights, we make those self-service tools available. So Mm -hmm. for instance, we've got a large percentage of the company using our foundational analytic tools we've built um, and data visualization tools, which we take no offense to because we're going to be responsible for the data integrity, but the fact that you want to build a a dashboard, we're good with. now, if you want to get into more predictive and prescriptive analytics, you need to come to us, uh, which the business partners do. Now, there's always the risk of, of, of having some problem along those lines, but we think that that makes it manageable. The other thing that we've done is we've stayed away from that hub and spoke model. We didn't set ourselves up as this 100-person centralized team, and we're there to advise. No, we're there to do hands-on work for all of the units we support in the company. That hub and spoke model, I've never seen work. It is hmm. it is a model that just does not work. You Interesting. Just, you get fragmented. You don't get the scale. Uh, and the data and analytics organization goes native. Is what hmm. happens. Right, right. No, I think that's that's well. And, and and in fact, the more you have hub spoke, right, the more you have this communication debacles, and it, it's bound to happen. So, good, good, good to hear your perspective on that. So let's let's talk about um, your KPIs of success, right? So what what you consider as a, as a success, running a, a, as a leader for a data science division for a, such a big corporation? Yeah, so we put our KPIs in, in three areas. We have a whole bunch of KPIs around talent because we're in the knowledge business and our assets go home every night. And if we don't hold ourselves accountable on developing, nurturing, retaining our team members, their overall satisfaction, that's going to be a challenge. So that's our first. The, the second set of KBIs tend to be more operational. They're, they're heavily tied to what we're doing in infrastructure, data quality, data governance, um, where we're at in terms of our infrastructure investment, uh, the corresponding capabilities to go along with the deployment of solutions and, and related. 
Then the last piece is we have hard financial targets for many of the things we do. We track the actual business benefits for not all of our investments, but portions of our investments in our larger projects. And those KPIs make sure we have skin in the game with our business partners. And there are hard things for us to track against. And we like that. Uh, we want to mm-hmm. show that the, the return on investment for the data and analytics investment is four, five, six hundred percent. So we, we hold ourselves accountable in that dimension as well. So it's, it's really in those three buckets. I put a lot of emphasis on the first bucket because the talent side is important, but we do focus on all three. Interesting. And I think you raised an interesting point a while back about uh, data governance, right? So uh, who owns data and, and like, how do you, what are some of the best practices? And I think I was having the same conversation with uh, some of the comp- folks at GE and, and, and similar likes. So they, they are transnational or transcontinental companies and I like every, and every sort of boundary has their own sort of regulation and, and sort of own, own, uh, how, like, how do you handle as, as a central organization, the data of where almost every, every sec with where your cars are moving could have a, a, an impact on the collection or data collection or data perception. Like some of, yes. what are some of, some of the best practices there? So the first thing I did when I arrived here was I established a data governance organization. Many people wonder, mm-hmm. you're gonna, that's your first action. Well, <laughs> I know that if you don't have the right data governance organization, which goes all the way from data standards, to data access, to data maintenance, and nice. privacy related activities. So one of the things when companies ask me about what to do, the first thing I tell them to do is stand up a data operations organization and have a good data governance function. Uh, because if you don't, the regulatory environment's challenging. But beyond the regulatory environment, the data quality issues are going to perplex mm. you if you don't have data standards, for instance. Um, so that's the best practice for us. And we have an outstanding data governance organization we've stood up in the last two years. Uh, and they're focused on all those issues, which to us is a, a critically important part. So that's that's my first bit of advice. Second bit of advice is to make sure that you're communicating what you're doing in the data organization because there's a big educational path that goes along with it. Interesting. And then it's and, about hiring talent. Yeah. Okay. So now let's let's talk about uh, security. I think uh, you raised a point on that. So um, since you are running the data and, and, and analytics practice uh, for Ford, and I think this is one of one of the thing that that comes a lot who owns this who should own the security of of data assets right the one who's probably managing the insights from that with a viz of who's like what are some of your thoughts on on the security aspect of it like how is that structured in in your portfolio and the nice thing about our life is we're we have a close working relationship with our i.t partners our i.t part i'm one of their biggest customers uh, because of our infrastructure investment but we also collaborate very closely while we're responsible for for data governance and working with our legal department on data privacy, we have IT as our third part of that partnership. And then on data security, IT is responsible for data security, but we provide analytic support for them in areas such as cyber and cyber threats. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very great relationship in the sense that they're responsible for parts that we're helping them with and we're responsible for other parts that they're helping us with. And we are interwoven. In fact, the, the IT team supporting my organization is embedded with us, is with us all the time. Uh, and it's a great relationship. And, th- and that model works because historically, 
in some cases, there's been tension between an IT organization and data and analytics organization. What I like about how we're evolving is that that tension's largely gone away because we see ourselves as complementary partners in the relationship. Interesting. I think, and so let's let's talk about some of the companies who are doing interesting stuff, right? So uh, when you say uh, you have any aspirations of how this group should function or how this entity should function, like, do you have any any sort of benchmark or any companies in mind on sort of hey, maybe that or or do you have any any sure. like any, any, any what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's two companies that I get up in the morning and and I focus on. One is USAA because of their ability mm. to employ insights, see their customers, yes. and have their business partners act upon the information. It's it's pretty amazing how they've done that all the way through their call centers and all the customer relationships. And then for anybody in the data and analytics field, the true North Star is Amazon. We all get up in the morning and we look at, at the comprehensive nature of what they've done, the customer centricity of their approach, their use of advanced analytics, their use of analytics now on the logistics side and the inventory management side. Uh, they, are, they are truly the North Star. Um, what I'm very proud of is we feel that we've closed the gap in the last few years and, and that we're now increasingly in the upper third of companies. Uh, and when you see benchmarking, the feedback is, is that we're, we're getting in, we're either in or near that upper third. Uh, and I look forward to the day when we can say that Ford and Amazon are the true leaders in the field of data and business analytics. And I'm confident that we're going to achieve that. Uh, and I'm confident we're closing the gap. But yes, every day I get up and I'm amazed at what they can do, how they can do it, the speed at which they can do it. Uh, it's 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 an amazing journey that they've been on, and you just have to give them credit. There, you can never be customer centric without knowing your customer. It's it's actually illogical, and many companies get up in the morning and believe they can be customer centric without that intimate knowledge. Amazon from day one got up in the morning and said, I believe every customer should be treated like an invited guest to the party. That's that philosophical tenet. And everything they've done in data and analytics is to say, I see you, I know you, and I will do something on your behalf. And that's our North Star. When we get up in the morning in terms of what mm. we're trying to do, we want to see you, we want to know you, and we want to act in a meaningful way on your behalf. Interesting, interesting. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that, by the way. I, I, I do appreciate that. One one other thing that I I I want your perspective on is, and we talk we talk to a lot a lot of leaders, and one of the things that they talk about is bias or the problem because of bias, right? Because now, so technology is very powerful. It's almost running a spine of every business today. Now data science is getting in 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 that in that zone where it's very critical, and it's businesses are relying heavily on that. And I think as a leader for running that, it's now you have a, a substantial influence over how the company will shape in the future. How do you keep yourself bias-free? And like, what are some, some of the things that, uh, some of the practices that you could share for, for future leaders? Yeah, so I, I have a couple things in, in this, that it's your question's very near and dear to my heart. First thing I, I remind everybody every day is it's not science, it's art and science that's gonna make you effective. Mm -hmm. um, yes. It's the ability for the business and the analytics organizations to share information and, and collaborate. The, the second thing that I always remind us on is, is that there are error ranges in anything we do. Mm. And that has to drive humility in terms of, of what we're attempting to, to do. But then the last piece is also important, and that is 
one of the reasons I believe in a centralized organization is we can't go native. We have to be that objective seal of approval. Now, we all know from behavioral research that everything we do in terms of our activities have a degree of bias to them because they're all based upon our past experiences and our reference points and so on. We try to limit that by putting in the right organizational design, the right approaches, and the right collaboration because if not, you'll you will you'll lose credibility. You won't get scaled. Uh, you can see that, and um, it's fascinating at Ford how many senior leaders really appreciate the fact that we are we are a we are an objective, independent organization. And to the credit of the leadership at Ford, they're they're comfortable with that. They may not always like the answer, but they're mm. comfortable with that approach. And I have multiple senior leaders that have over the last couple of years come up to me and said, "Whatever you do, do not compromise that." So they see it, they know it, and that is in part what makes it fun to be here. Interesting, and 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 I think you. Uh, one more thing, I I I want your perspective on is so when you take such a role of of running such an important division in such a sort of uh, transnational company. What are some of the thoughts that comes to your mind of like, what are some of, like, how do you decipher your first X days in that company? Like, how do you, how do you fathom that? And like, if you can walk us through like what goes in your mind and how do you sort of get started uh, at that level? That will be, that will be enormous. I, I having done this a couple of times. First thing I do is I give, I give myself a 90 day plan and the 90 day plan is a full emerging approach to, to this. And that is, meeting with as many business partners as I can, sitting down with groups, understanding their issues, getting their perspective, asking lots of questions. Uh, in the case of Ford, in, in the first 90 days, I every day I had 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 meetings with groups and and individuals, and, and it was all about me probing as an as a organization. Um, and that's important, that, that you understand the business issues. Now, against that, I also know what, irrespective of the business issues, there's just certain building blocks you have to have. You have to have a data organization. You've got to have data governance. You've got to start building out the analytic infrastructure. So the good news is you can get started on all those elements while you can understand the business issues to figure out where you're going to prioritize. And then from there, it's just a constant high engagement model. My team and myself are constantly engaged. And from the first day we were here, it was about, talk to me, help me understand, hey, we're thinking about this. Here's the insight we've generated. Does that make sense to you? Uh, and that's the way you do it. I'm personally really proud that within 90 days, we've gotten all that done. We, we got a strategy together and we got it approved. Interesting. Wow. So um, let's let's talk about you. Like what are uh, what are your keys to success? Uh, like if you can share some lights on 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 that. Yeah, at, at this phase of my career, uh, the most important thing to me in terms of keys to success are really two things. Is the business winning? And are we having the outcomes with the customers we want? And then secondly, it's the team. Uh, when I look at my portfolio, my portfolio is the thousand outstanding team members and the hundreds of team members in our support groups like IT and finance. Uh, and every day of my life, those are the success metrics for me now because I know that for us to, to help this company and make it scalable and sustainable. Those are the things that really matter. You know, from a personal standpoint, you always have objectives and so on. But anytime I look at my objectives, 
we have a great year if the team is developing and growing and helping the business, and we have a great year if we're putting points on the board for the business and helping the business win. Uh, everything else is just an enabler. So mm. my own personal goals and objectives, I, I wrap everything around those two dimensions. And then the enablers I hold us accountable for, but if we don't get the talent right and if business isn't being successful, we fail. That's just a simple, simple model. Now, there's also a, a very selfish element to that, and that is at this stage of my career where I, I probably won't be doing this for the next 20 years, I also look at this as increasingly a legacy issue. And hmm. one of the greatest enjoyment for me has been the thousands of team members I've worked with over the last 30 years. And I am very proud to say when they meet me on the street, they, they see me at a place, the first thing they do is they hug me and they're happy to see me. And that's a good thing. Nice. Nice. Wow. Wow. Uh, nice. So, um, beautiful. So let's, let's, let's talk about, um, like, where do you get your information from? Like, what are, what are some of, some of, like, how do you keep yourself updated on what's happening in the world of data analytics? Yeah. So it's a, it's a crazy world. So it's a combination of my team, university partnerships, continuous readings, downloads. The nice thing about the world of, of information is it can be customized uh, through our own version of, of chatbots and so on and customization of dissemination of information. So it's, it's, it's a variety of eclectic sources, but one of the things that, that I really enjoy is that with my team, we're constantly engaging with universities at seminars, at meetings. Mm -hmm. We make it a point to find time during the week and find time once a month for the entire global organization just to get together and share information and talk about things. We call them knowledge share sessions and they're, they're just, they're not structured topics going in. There's one or two topics that we then share and explore based upon what's going on. And they can be extremely eclectic. Uh, they could be very technical um, in terms of the things we're doing from a methodological standpoint. Uh, we just had a, a two-hour session on some work we're doing leveraging hierarchical Bayesian methods for some things we're doing in marketing, sales, and service. In other cases, they can be just general trends and, and autonomy or connected vehicles or what's going on in the regulatory environment or, or all of those things. So it's it's a lot of fun. Interesting, interesting. So um, uh, let's let's talk about um, your favorite read, uh, if, if you may. Like, Do you have any favorite book that you can share with our audience? Well, lots of books. If, if I were to, you know, my, my, my habit in terms of a, my, my ongoing read. So I, I have, I have my ongoing routine and that is my wife of 30 plus years would laugh no matter what day of the week it is. It always goes financial times, wall street journal. Absolutely. I'm an economist by training. So you're always going down that path of those two. And then since I've been a teenager, it's been the economist because I, I love that global view. I like to stretch my thinking. And stuff. So my regular periodical reading, goes down that path. Um, my, my other reading tends to be very eclectic. Increasingly, it's about management theories. Um, you know, it's books such as The 100-Year Life. I just finished that a little while ago about socio-demographic changes and, and how that's affecting individual as well as collective behavior. Um, you know, I just read a, a book on, on some technical elements of Spark. Uh, so there's there's different parts of, of the day and, and yeah, I'm a nerd, so that's probably the <laughs> uh, And so uh, it's all those things. Awesome, awesome. Uh, that that's that's phenomenal, Paula. And 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 by the way, 
thank you so so much uh, i think you have been really uh, nice and and sharing your insights with with, with our with our communities and before before we uh, before i let you go uh, love to have your closing remark for our audience well i would just wrap up by first saying thank you thank you for the time and and i look forward to engaging with your audience in the future with regards to the journey it is such an amazing time to be in our space as practitioners what more could we ask for we're we're in an environment where what we do for a living is valuable the tools at our disposal are beyond anything we could have comprehended and just enjoy the ride and enjoy it because it's it's such a wonderful thing every day of my life i i get up and i just pinch myself i do something that i love for a living and i get to hang out with a thousand of the most brilliant people in the world and i get to talk to wonderful people like you and what more could you ask so so enjoy the ride thank you so much paul i think i i do appreciate uh, your time you're always welcome on the show and um, good luck with your journey um love to love to uh, uh, wish you nothing but success and luck uh, with with this interesting time and i think i i do appreciate you steering a, a very uh, such an organization which actually desperately need uh, uh, folks like you steering it so i i do i do appreciate you and with that thank you so much and 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 good luck we'll see you soon thank you bye 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 yeah, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this.